this week, we're going to challenge each other with the Word of God. And as I get into that, I want to remind you of the Grateful Heart Offering. Last year, our Grateful Heart Offering focused on our production ministry. I don't know if you know this, but we have people listening all over the world. We get, we get listens in China and uh, all over Europe and, and North America. And so we've got people listening. And the investment that you made in our production gives us an opportunity to take the message of Jesus Christ in a, in a professional manner even more places, even more places. So God is going to be opening up doors. He already has. We're going to be grateful for it. And I want to thank you for being faithful in your giving. This year, we're going to focus our giving on 3D. Now, before you look up here, uh, man, you, you went for it. Okay, let, let's do it. Let's do it. We want to do something like this. That doesn't mean it'll be exactly this, but it gives you a vision of what we're hoping to do. And we're going to ask you to give. And depending on your gifts, it depends on how fast we get there. Now, you might say, Pastor, are you guys operating on a shoestring budget? Do you guys need us to give to get extra stuff done? We have the money right now to do this. The bad news is it's still in your pockets. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've already, I've already used that one. No, 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 no. We, we have it, but we're saving that money for a new building. And so instead of dipping into all of our resources that we have for a new building, these extra projects, once a year, we'd like to come to you and say, would you help us fund them? Would you help us get the vision uh, on the speed track, on the fast lane? Because we could save for this, and it might take us a few years. But if we all give above and beyond, we can get there this year, just like we did with our production offering. Uh, what do you say? Are our children worth it? I think so. Something like this. You know, we'll go inside depending on, on, uh, on what is given. And so we can, we'll start outside and we'll move the vision inside. What do you think? I'm excited about it. I hope you are. So this is, um, I just want you to pray. You might say, Pastor, how much am I supposed to give? Whatever God puts on your heart. The Grateful Heart offering is just that. Saying, Lord, thank you for being for being such a faithful God. Would you lead me to what I should give? And so if God has been faithful, then uh, I just ask that you respond with gratitude and give what you feel in your heart. Now, joy to the world. We're entering a two-week sermon series. Wow, we went from like 15 weeks to two weeks. Joy to the world. This week and next week, which is our Christmas Eve service. How many of you know Jesus Christ came to bring joy to the world? Do you truly believe that? Do you believe that your life is better off with Christ? I do. I know that my life is better having received the joy of Jesus Christ. Now, next week, we're really going to focus on joy and peace. This week, I want to I introduce the idea of rest. Rest. Rest for our weary bones. How many of us have ever felt like, wow, I just need a break? I just need a <laughs> Miss Lynn, that was fast. I didn't even finish the question. And she was like, she was about to stand up. Mm. You know, yes. How many of us know that sometimes the busiest time of the year and the most unsettling, unrestful time is the holidays, 
many, for many of us. And so I want you to really, really listen to this message. I want to also warn you ahead of time. I'm not going to approach it from a traditional standpoint. In fact, the passage I'll be using is out of the book of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. And if you know anything about 2 Thessalonians, you know that God gave this to Paul for the church of Thessalonica. You say, who was Paul? Paul was a great man of God named as an apostle by Jesus Christ after Jesus had already gone to be in heaven. Who was Paul? Paul used to persecute the church. When you hear Paul, when you hear that, he used to persecute the church. This is what you need to know. He used to kill Christians. He had a hatred towards them, and so he would hunt them down and try to put an end to them. On one of these trips where he was going to attack the church of Jesus Christ, Christ shows up to him in the, in the roadway in all of his brilliance. Come on, how many of you know when Paul saw, saw Jesus, he wasn't a baby in a manger or a broken man on a cross or a humble a humble carpenter breaking bread. He was the king of all glory, shining bright as the morning sun, and Paul was stricken with fear and blind immediately. Somebody needs to go, wow. Jesus is the king of all glory. Sometimes we forget about that at Christmas. We'll talk more about that in a second. But can you imagine if Christ were to walk in in all his brilliance right now? I remember a pastor challenged us one youth camp. He said, if Christ in all his brilliance and glory and radiant wonder were to walk up here, how would your worship look? What would you do? You know, I like that, 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 that song, I Can Only Imagine, right? I can only imagine. One of these days, I'm just going to cut loose and sing. <laughs> what that day would be like when I see my Lord, right? I can only imagine. Guess what? You don't have to imagine. You're going to fall on your face because everybody has the same reaction. <laughs> Paul had the same reaction. Isaiah had the same reaction. Peter had the same reaction. He didn't even see him in all his brilliance. He, Jesus just performed a miracle for Peter. And he's like, oh, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of him. I'm trying to be emphatic that, you know, that's what we do when we see something awesome like Christ. And this is the thing. That same pastor said, hey, youth, do you realize that the Bible says where there are two or three gathered in my name, he promises to be here? So guess what? He's here. So whatever you envisioned your worship would be like, get to it. Changed my life forever because now I'm like, Lord, you're here. You deserve my very best. Amen. But anyway, that, that's, that's a side note on worship. So Paul writes these letters after being converted. And he's, this letter to the, to the second letter to the Thessalonians in Thessalonica, it's a church he planted. He really emphasizes the coming of the Messiah. No, no, the second coming of the Messiah. The second coming of the Messiah. And so here, I want to I I read this to you. We are bound to thank God always for you. We're bound, we're committed to thank God for you, brethren, as it is 
fitting. It's right to do so. Why is it right? Because your faith grows exceedingly. Come on, how many of you would love for that to be said about us? Man, we want to, we, we just thank God. We have to thank God for you because your faith just keeps growing and it's impressive. It's awesome. Watch this. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. That means you care for one another so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Why are they thanking God? Because you are what? Patient and true and faithful in spite of tremendous trouble coming against you. Come on, how many of you know that patience and faithfulness is a good thing? Have you ever heard, don't pray for patience? Anyone ever heard, don't pray for patience? If you've heard that silly, idiotic thing, raise your hand. The reason I call it out that way is because that's not biblical. The Bible never says, don't pray for patience. Never says that. In fact, let me tell you what the Bible says. Love is patient and love is... So when you pray for patience, you're praying for love. You're praying for love. You're praying, oh God, teach me how to endure with abiding love. Come on, how many of you know when you really love someone, if I really love Melissa, I'm going to love her through the good and the... I don't know about you, but it's been all good. All good, baby. All good. No, no. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you've endured. Now, keep, keep, keep mark of that word endure. It's going to come back. Un- I, want you to, I want us to understand that many times when unbelievers, unbelievers face suffering, they face it very different from Christians. How so? Well, they're so focused on the temporal. What does it mean, temporal? On the temporary, the here and the now. They're so focused on the here and the now that they many times attribute, listen to, suffering as being profoundly evil. And they say there must not be a God because God would not allow this profound evil. Or if there is a God, he must be limited in his ability to deal with evil. Can I tell you this is such a short, narrow-sighted view of suffering. Why? Because it it equates everything in terms of the definition of suffering to your temporary experience and your limited understanding. Could it be that God has not defeated evil yet, but he's going to? It hasn't happened yet, but he's going to. Could it be that he allows suffering to play a part in order to show you his great wonder that even the very worst he can use for his purpose, for his glory, and for your blessing? For your blessing. But pastor, I don't understand it. That's why you gird yourself up in faith and patience knowing that if God loves you, he will work all things out for your good. He'll work it out. And so the reason I'm preaching this like this is because the Thessalonican church was going through it. How many of us feel like, man, pastor, I'm going through it. I may not be getting persecuted, but I'm going through it. And so I just want to share with those that maybe have lost a loved one. Feel like I'm going through it. 
Maybe you've lost a job and you're feeling like, man, I'm, I'm going through it. Maybe there's conflict in your home and in your family and you're saying, man, pastor, I just feel like I'm going through it. Maybe the slowdown in the economy has really affected your work. Pastor, I'm going through it. You know, it's interesting because the Lord has a special place in his heart for those that are going through it. He says, I am close to those who suffer and I walk with them. And I think you'll find that in the course of your life, if you really consider your suffering, you'll see that there's only one set of footprints. Come on. And there's one set because he carries us in that time. He carries us if we allow him to. And so I want to I want to keep reading verse 5, which is manifest evidence. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. So watch what he's saying. He's saying, even if there's trouble and the world seems to be, what, getting away with some things, I want you to know that God is real and he will soon settle accounts. That means those of you who have suffered unjustly, you're going to get a hookup. You're going to get a level up. God's going to make you square and make you right. And he's going to what? He's going to bless you where you've been lacking. And this is why Paul also says, I want you to consider your current suffering and realize that it's not worth comparing with your eternal reward. Your current suffering is like this, and your eternal reward cannot be measured. So hang in there, amen? Hang in there. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm hanging in. It's worth it. I'm hanging in. It's worth it. How about you? Hang in there. It's worth it, brother. But this is also what he says. I want you to know that those that think they're getting away with it won't. It's right there. Watch. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Some of you are thinking, this is not a pre-Christmas sermon, Pastor. This is kind of heavy. This is actually like a little bothering. No, it's only bothering if you don't believe. See, because unbelief is a sin. And at some point, you've got to decide, do I believe or do I not believe? Because if you don't believe, then Jesus is going to say, I understand you didn't want to be with me. Depart from me. And it's that departure that really creates some problem. You know, I was studying the other day the idea of evil and where did it come from. And evil is not necessarily a thing. It's a privation. It's an absence of something. Take, for instance... Evil is like rust on a car. When it rusts out a hole, it's missing something that should have been there. You want to know what that something should have been? It's a sweater that's been eaten by moths, and it's missing something. Anyone had that problem? 
had a beautiful Hickey Freeman suit that got eaten. And I was like, oh no, it's missing like a good chunk. It's like a piece of wood that has been rotted through. It's missing because it has, it has a privation. It's been, what, set away from something. We've said, I don't want God. And so when you have that hole without God, it's going to be horrible. But God says, I want you. Will you want me? So I want you so much. No, no. But, but I need you to understand something here. Watch, watch this. Watch this. When he comes in that day to the glory, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Believed. Now this is where we'll, 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 we'll change gears because some of us think, Pastor, this is not a Christmas message, but the way I understand the Bible, this is the Christmas message. This is the Christmas message. How many of you know what the meaning of the word Christmas is? Christ mass. The mass of Christ. In its most simple forms, now I know you could make this a lot more complicated, it means the communion of our Lord's Last Supper. The Last Supper. What does the Last Supper point to? Jesus said, and you will what? Remember and celebrate this until I return. And as you do, you are saying, Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. Come on. So Christmas is all about his return because I've noticed something in the church. We're getting real comfortable with the baby in the manger. He's, he's cute and cuddly, but that baby in the manger who's, who, who came and, and, and interrupted time and space with the presence of Jesus Christ. See, we talk about the incarnation, which means God becoming flesh, but the incarnation means nothing if we don't look towards the coronation. That means the king of all glory returning back because there's been many babies born. Think about it. There have been many babies born in really uh, precarious situations, mangers, out in stables, wherever. But only one grew up to conquer death on a cross and to promise you with all certainty, I will return. I will return. And that's who we wait for. Listen to what the way Luke talked about it that first Christmas morning. He said, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and on his what? And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. So already, he's saying, I don't want you to get caught up worshiping this cuddly little baby. I need you to understand he's the king of all glory and he's coming back for you. Yeah. And this is serious business, amen? This is serious business. He's coming back. And so I want us to see this because it's super, super important. Number one, this brings us rest. How does it bring us rest? How does it bring us rest? I'll never forget, I was in finance class 
there at Baylor University, and I had a test to take. And um, we all failed the test. We failed the test. I mean, big time. Not a one of us passed. It was horrible. We're all freaking out. Why do you freak out when you're in class? You're looking at each other. How'd you do? One guy's crying. Another guy's going, oh, that's it. I'm going to get kicked out of school. We're all reacting. I'm like, how'd you do? How'd you do? How'd you do? It was horrible. We all did horrible. The professor comes back and he says, I got some bad news. You all did horrible. Not a one passed it. Not a one passed it. And I know I taught it right. I gave you everything you needed to pass, yet you didn't do it. But I'm feeling gracious. Not because you deserve it, because I want to share something with you out of grace. I'm going to give you all an A. I said, what? Hallelujah. I said, I want you to now relax, and we're going to cover what I see now that needs to be covered. I'm using this test as a starting point to find out where you are and what I need to teach so that you get the material. I want you to rest. I want you to relax. I want you to listen and learn. Do you get the sense that Jesus is saying, you failed, but I'm gracious, amen? I'm gracious, now I need you to relax and realize it's not because of your goodness, it's because of my grace, amen? And so this brings tremendous amount of rest. Listen to what the Bible says there, Right there in verse 7, he says, and to give you who are troubled rest. In fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why shouldn't we be troubled? It says, don't let your hearts be troubled. John 14, you believe in God? Think about that. He says, put your faith in me and you don't have to worry. Isn't that the way Jesus came onto the scene? And, he, and his favorite message was this. He said, if anyone is troubled, if anyone is heavy and burdened and worn out and about to burn out, come to me. I got your answer. Can I tell you? That's the same message that still applies today. If you're tired, how many of us go to sleep tired, wake up more tired? Give it to Jesus. Give it to Jesus. You say, Pastor, I don't know if I can. I don't know if he'll take care of it. With that kind of faith, he won't. But you've got to trust him and say, Lord, I know that you've got something better for me. You know, some of us, we get ahead of ourselves rather than waiting on God. It reminds me of a photographer who was, who was taking pictures of a huge forest fire. His network sent him out there and said, I need pictures because the other network is really beating us on the coverage of this fire. He calls back and says, how bad do you want these pictures? I need them really, really bad. Well, I can't get close enough. There's so much smoke, I can't get a good picture. All I get is a picture of a smoke, smoke bomb or smoke ball. How many of us are familiar with fires around here? <laughs> I look at Brent. Brent lost, lost a lot in that fire. And then um, he said, but I'll tell you what, if you get me up on a plane... Get me up on a plane. I'll, I'll get you your pictures. He says, okay, consider it done. Go to the airport. You'll have a plane waiting for you. So he shows up at the airport. Sure enough, there's a plane waiting, and it's going. The, the door's down. He runs in there, shuts the door behind him. He says, get me up in the air. 
Guy says, yes, sir. He gets him up in the air. They take off. He says, all right, this is what I need you to do. I need you to spin this plane around. You know the drill. Go up and, 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 and drive me, I mean, fly me right by that fire. Fly me low. Give me a few passes, as low as you can go and as slow as you can make it. He goes, ah, uh, are you sure? He says, yeah. That's why they hired you as my pilot. He says, the pilot? I thought you were the pilot. I was here waiting for the instructor. I thought you were the instructor. Some of us are waiting for the instructor. Can I tell you the instructor's already on board? His name is Jesus. You don't have to worry. He's got full control if you just give him. Give him the wheel. He'll take it from there. Amen. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. And where, and where I go, you know. And the way, you know. He says, you know. Now watch. How many of us at this point would be waiting for that te teacher's pet who always gives on our nerves asking those questions to finally ask a good question? I remember this growing up. I was a typical boy. I hated Darla. She would ask the craziest, dumbest questions and make the class so boring and long. But on occasion, even a blind squirrel finds a nut. And if you need help, you kick the nut over to them. And what I mean by that is every once in a while, there would be a subject that we didn't know and understand, and Darla would be real quiet. And we'd go, Darla, ask her a question on this. And then she'd go, Miss? <laughs> yes, Darla. Well, we need more clarification. Thank the Lord for Thomas. He's that Darla. He says, he says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And I love Jesus. He makes it crystal clear. Listen to this. I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one will come to the Father except through me, he says. And they go, okay. Are you getting it? You find rest in Christ. You find rest when you let him pilot your plane. You find rest when you put your trust in him and say, Lord, you're in charge of my life. You're in charge of my eternity. You're the savior of the world and more specifically, you're savior of my life. And I can't wait for your return. Point number two, your return. We're called to look towards his return. In the flaming fire, taking vengeance of those who do not know God, Paul says, Come on, that is scary, but I need us to understand Jesus returning is not going to be a baby in a manger, a broken man on the cross. It's going to be the king of all glory, riding a white horse, calling forth those that are saved to come to him. It's going to be spectacular. You know what I think's wrong with Christianity today? We've watered it down so much that nobody wants it. I don't know about you, but as a young man, I loved hearing the fact that Jesus was coming back for me and he was coming as a mighty, awesome king of glory. That just gets your blood going, doesn't it? Come on, men. 
It gets your blood going. It makes you feel like, yes, that's the kind of king I would love to give my life to. But notice what it says in verse 10. He says, when he comes. Notice the word is not if he comes. If implies uncertainty. When implies what? Absolute certainty. Because the New Testament is all about hope. Hope in the New Testament is certainty. So Paul is saying here, I want you to be certain that he will come in that day. And he will be glorified with all of his saints. That's you and me. You and me. And we need to get a, we need to get a belief again that he's coming back. I want to, give, me, give me my uh, book bag, would you, Christian or Raquel? I can remember, and as soon as I pull this out, you're going to know what I'm going to talk about. I can remember there's a, a certain idea that a certain person comes on Christmas Eve. Uh, I, I don't get into that. And I guess because I didn't get into it, my kids kind of started leaving that tradition very, very early. And I can remember one day my wife says to me, honey doesn't believe. And I said, okay. But it makes me sad because that means he's growing up. I said, he's not growing up. He's like six. (laughs) He's like six. But Evie still believes. I said, good for her. Good for her. And I'll never forget, I had these. And they had been in my closet for a while. So I grabbed them. And I went to put them on the front door. And as I went like this, I said, hey, y'all better get to bed. And Evie heard them. And as she heard them, she said, oh, he's coming. And I thought, Jesus? No, she's talking about someone far less. Like, But anyway, I won't use his name. He goes, I went like, I go, oh. And she goes running through the house. He's coming. He's coming. Get to bed. Get to bed. And he goes in and she grabs honey and, and goes, do you hear that? And then he goes, no, it can't be. And then this, by this time, I'm on to it. And I just love their reaction. So I go. And she's shaking him going, believe, believe. He's here. He's here. Get to bed. And they get to bed, right? It was the best thing ever because it was always such a struggle to get them to bed on Christmas Eve. I bring those things, they went straight to bed. You know, it's interesting. You say, what does this have to do with the gospel? Some of us have started to get too grown up for our own good. And we say, I don't know if I believe in all that Christianity, but yet Jesus says you have to have the faith of a child. You have to have the faith of a child. And maybe you need to You need to have an Evie in your life. And if you are an Evelyn, then you need to run around yelling, he's coming. And you need to grab those brothers and sisters that don't have the same faith and give them a good shaking. Some of us need a good shaking by an Evelyn saying, he's coming, believe. Amen. You say, but I haven't heard any bells that he's coming. Can I tell you? They're all in this word. Look around. The prophecies are falling one by one. One by one, Israel prepares to rebuild her temple. The heifers are in Israel. Everything is moving as fast as can be. The bells are ringing. Better yet, the angel is preparing. You can hear the trumpet warming up. 
He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Prepare for his return. Because Paul also says to the church of Thessalonica, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first and then who? We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Yeah, 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 but they have been saying that. Can I tell you? That attitude is also written in God's word. Read with me. Read with me in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3. Scoffers will come in the last days. So when you hear someone scoffing, I want you to go and take a selfie with them. My cell phone's not here. Take a selfie with them. And when they say, why are you taking a selfie with me? Say, you're in God's word. You're part of the fulfillment of prophecy. You and your negativity. (laughs) Amen? And say, you're a scoffer. And the Bible says in the last days, scoffers will be a dime a dozen. There's a bunch of you. Can I tell you, there's always an Uncle Bobby an Uncle Ralph, an Uncle this, an Uncle that, that's a scoffer. Ain't that the truth? And they always come and scoff around Thanksgiving. They always come and scoff around Christmas. They always, can I tell you, don't be a scoffer. Don't be that one in the family. The Bible says there will be scoffers that what? Walk according to their lusts. Now, when we hear the word lust, we tend to think sexual but it means worldly. That means they like the world they live in. They like the money they've gotten, the house they live in. They don't want to be, because we hate change as people. People hate change. Think about it. That's a huge change. Christ comes, split the sky wide open. We get raptured with him, and then we go live in heaven. That's a big change. But don't be a scoffer. Don't be a scoffer. Listen to what the Bible says here. He says, he says, but about that day and hour, no one knows in the book of, of, uh, of Matthew. Stay with me, Katrina. You got to go one up. No, Matthew. Matthew 24, 36. You got it? No one knows. But that doesn't mean we should be scoffers. Now I'm going back to 2 Timothy 3. Scoffers will come in the last days, getting too comfortable here on this earth. They'll say, where is the promise of his coming? For generations we've been waiting for his return. Beloved, do not forget this one thing. Jesus is taking his time in coming back for one reason. You want to know what that reason is? He doesn't want anyone to miss an opportunity to be saved. So he's being patient. There's that word patient again. Because of his great love, wanting everyone to be saved. But watch what it says, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. With people saying, he's never coming back. He's never coming back. And then he will come. This is why we'll go back to Matthew. Jesus says, watch. Your Lord is coming. So wait a minute. How can I be at rest 
and wait for his return. Rest, return. Because to know that he's coming back and when you expect him to come back, you know everything's going to be good because he's coming back for you. See, if you're nervous about it, you might need to do like, like I always say, like, like that great theologian Ice, Ice Cube says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. What does that mean? That means like really look at your faith and go, I'm nervous. Maybe there's something happening here that I need to settle now. Someone told me once, well, pastor, I'll find out when I get there. Can I tell you that's not smart? Find out now, right? When you get there, it's too late. Like, oh, you missed it. You missed it by one little thing, faith. Right? You missed it by faith. You didn't have any faith. But, but you could have, right? You could have put your trust in. So watch. Here we go. Because he's coming back to rain. He's coming back to rain. I keep pushing us past the manger to the coming king. To the coming king. That's the Christmas message. He came as a baby, but he grew up quick. Come on, how, many, how quick do our children grow up? He grew up quick. He died on the cross, conquered death, and he's coming back to rule and reign. And this is why the Bible says, when he comes in the day to be glorified in his saints, he's going to be glorified and we will be transformed to reign with him for his glory. For his glory. Watch. Watch. But in order to be changed, in order to be set apart, in order to have these promises fulfilled, we need to believe. It reminds me, and now I'm, I'm about to be done. Are you with me? You got f- five more minutes in you? It reminds me of a man named Philip Brooks. He was a bishop, and he actually wrote the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. How many of us have ever heard that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem? Well, when he was dying, he asked that no one come to see him, none of his friends. He wanted to just spend that time with the Lord and, and, uh, and just get ready to pass. All of a sudden, a certain man came to see him. This man was quite a famous atheist and anti-Christian propagandist. His name was Robert, Robert Ingersoll. When he asked to see the bishop, they let him right in. He comes in and he says, I heard you weren't letting any of your friends and family come see you. I feel very honored that you would let me in. The bishop said very, very, very plainly, he said, the reason I let you in is because with them, I know I'll see them again. With you, this could be the last time I see you. Let me share the gospel with you. Amen? And he was saying, hey, listen, this thing that we, that we celebrate in Christ coming the first time, it's all about him coming back. It's all about us living with him forever in glory. And this is why Paul writes things like this that I've been reading to you. Be ready. Understand that you might be suffering and it might be hard, but endure. Listen to what he writes to Timothy. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. So he's coming as the king of glory 
to sit on David's throne, to reign forever over Israel. Now, you might be here today and you might say, Pastor, I'm not Israeli. And I would beg to differ if you've accepted Jesus Christ. The reason I say that is because the Bible says clearly, Jesus said these words. He said, you are sons of Abraham if you do the will of my father. What is the will of the father? Not wanting anyone to perish and go to hell, but to have saving faith. Are you saying all I have to do is believe, pastor? Put your trust in Jesus. Know for a fact he's coming back. Stop fretting and worrying and living under so much stress. Enter into his rest. Watch for his return. That means look forward to it. Understand that if you endure, you will reign with him. It's a promise. And that reign is going to be radiant. This is where we finish, radiant. But you say, Pastor, it can't be as simple as just believe. I want you to be very careful because there's another movement happening in the church today. They say we can't have this simple, easy believism. Oh, yeah? Well, my word tells me that if you really believe, it's not easy. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to stand and, and be patient. But it says it very plainly in Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It will fill your heart with rest. You will watch for his return. Your heart will beat for the coming of your king, saying, I cannot wait to hear the trumpet of the Lord. I cannot wait to see you, Lord. I know that I know that I know that you're coming to reign, that this is temporary, and someday I will reign with you in your kingdom if I only endure, and it's going to be radiant. Listen to what else the Bible says. It says, but as it is written, this is also the Apostle Paul, I has not seen or ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Love is patient. Be patient. He's coming. He's not slow because he's just trying to delay it. He wants people to be saved. He wants people to be saved. And yes, he's well aware that the mockers are saying, where is his return? Where is his return? Where is his return? Yet he says to you, be patient and watch. When you least expect it. When you least expect it. Come on, can I get an amen, Christians? So you say, Pastor, what should I do? Part of waiting with rest in your heart is helping someone else. Share with that uncle scoffer. Share with that friend and family member. Share with them. But can I tell you something? Share with confidence. Reminds me of old Bear Bryant. How many of you know who Bear Bryant is? He's a great coach of Alabama. And they say they went duck hunting with him, and he just kept talking about how he always gets a duck, always gets a duck. He sensed that confidence in him, and everybody just felt like, man, this guy's a sure shot. This guy's a sure shot. And so they waited and he was talking about 
just what he was able to accomplish in his life. And they were just filled with confidence. They couldn't, they just loved being around him. All of a sudden, after three hours, here comes this lame duck. This why well, he wasn't lame, but one lone duck. That's a that's a better way of putting it. One lone duck. And he's flying there so pathetic. And Barrett Bryan, he pulls out his, his gun and he shoots. Boom, boom. Duck just keeps right on flying. Everybody's going, I can't believe it. He turns without batting an eye and says, gentlemen, you've just witnessed a miracle. Everybody said, what? A miracle? He said, yeah. What you're seeing right there is a dead duck flying. (laughs) And the story goes that they believed it. They believed it. They said he hit him. He hit that duck. I don't know how he didn't fall out of the sky. Must be a. You say, well, what does this have to do with our faith? If people can believe something as ridiculous as that, then have confidence in your Savior and what he did for you in your heart and your life. Have confidence. Why am I preaching the return of Christ? I don't know if you know this, but we've called our, our Easter service our resurrection Sunday service, Jesus is coming. I, I could have preached any Christmas message, but I chose to preach Jesus is coming. Do you get the sense something big is on the horizon and it's not just the technological revolution, the financial revolution. It's not just all of the things happening in the world. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. And I want you to be girded up with confidence. I want you to know that your Savior King is returning. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. I love you, church. I love you, church. Christ's Mass. So Jesus, the day he was betrayed and he was going to face Calvary, he took bread and he broke it and he shared it with his disciples and he said, this represents the body that will be broken on the cross, my body. He took the wine and he passed it to the disciples and he says, this represents the cup of joy that a bridegroom shares with his bride as they are betrothed. It also represents the blood that I will shed for you. Shed what? I'm gonna share my blood to purchase you. It's the dowry that I pay for you, my bride. I pay for your sin with my own life. So when you do this, remember that I'm coming back. That's what Christmas is about. He's coming back. Lord, come quickly. In Jesus' name. To the honor and glory of you, Lord. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great, great week.